Hey. I love you girls. So sweet. You know, I was um, thinking back to, this has nothing to do with the study, but I was thinking about my earliest memories of the Gills, and I didn't know Connie super well. I had met her a couple of times, and one time in particular, I remember we were at a pastor's wives conference, and I was at Calvary Vista, and she had been at Calvary Vista, and then wasn't at Calvary Vista, and and she was coming to sit with us, and everybody was so excited. Connie's coming to sit with us. Connie's coming to sit with us. And I was like, I don't know who Connie is, but this is so exciting <laughs> that Connie's coming to sit with us. And then Jeff, poor Jeff, we loved to terrify him. See, I would bring all my kids up to the camp all, all summer long, or not all summer long, but we were there a lot because Jason, my husband, would guest teach a lot for camps. And so it just kind of got to where, what do you do with like three roaming kids in the place? And so we would bring their scooters. And I remember one time in particular, if you've been up to the Green Valley camp, there's that little chapel that's there and, and there's a hill that goes. And then right by the hill, it goes into this like bumpy bridge. And my son was maybe five, I think. And he was going as fast as he could down this hill with the scooter. And then he would flip over into the bumpy bridge. And And I remember the first time that Jeff saw it. He said, oh, no, 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 no. He can't do that. He can't do that here. And so I don't know. I'm just really happy to be with you guys. And I love like... has nothing to do with anything. It was just really funny, and I wish you could have seen it. So we should probably pray. God, I thank you so much for this night. And God, we do, Lord, we do want to present ourselves to you. We are so grateful for you, God. You are enough. You are more than enough. You are all that we need. God, thank you that you are so gracious to pour out your spirit, to pour out your presence, to meet us here in this place. God, I pray that every girl would leave this place tonight knowing that she has met with you, knowing that she has encountered you with a special word, with a special impression. God, would you give each one something to take home tonight? And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So every every year at school where two of my kids go, the, okay, wow, this is starting really well. I'm going to try to start over. Every year at the school where two of my kids go, they have a end of the year high school retreat. And every year they split the entire high school into four colors so that they can do the whole competing thing and how many points did yellow team get and how many points did red team get and blue and green. And and it's always a huge deal to find out what color they will be and what team they're going to be on. Will they be on a team with their friends? Because though they get to see the other people, they have to kind of do everything with their team color. They have to sit with them. They have to compete with them. They have to stay in a cabin with them. And so will they get on the team with their friends? Will they get the teacher that they like? And with my oldest daughter, we've had years of tears where she didn't get the team that she wanted. And so she didn't want to go to the retreat because I just don't want to be there if I can't be with all my friends. And I would say, well, it's too bad. You're going to go because you're going to end up having fun. And I would have to be the hard-nosed mom. And then I would cry with worry the whole way home. Is she going to be okay? Is she going to be miserable? And then as it always is, I would go to pick her up at the end of it. Did you have fun? So worried. And she's like, yeah, 
It was with everybody I loved, right? And then we've had years where she's been so excited because she got the team that she wanted, and we should be finding out soon. And this is, like, her senior year. And can I just say, like, this is the, the class that grew up on High School Musical, and they kind of think that senior year should be like everything. We talked about that. My son doesn't care what team he gets on. He's literally friends with everyone and just excited to be away from home for a few days. He's just really excited to kind of do his own thing without me looking over his shoulder. But as soon as we find out what color team they are on, we have to go shopping for all things that color. I'm talking socks and shirts and scrunchies and sunglasses. And last year I got conned into buying a teddy bear that was that color so it could be the team mascot. And I don't know why I buy all that stuff, but as I kept studying for this study, I kept thinking about that. Because see, you and I, we are on a team. And it's meant to be obvious whose team we're on. And I know as believers, we don't wear a certain color. That would be nice. Maybe we could start that. Every Monday, all Christians in the world wear yellow. (laughs) It would make witnessing a lot easier. Nope, save, save, save. Oh, she's not wearing yellow. Let me go talk to her about Jesus. We aren't marked by outward adornment, but there are some qualities and identity markers that should stand out in our lives, that should show the world what team we're on. And in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. I remember when I was in high school, and I was at high school summer camp, and our youth pastor made us memorize these verses before we could eat lunch. I'm not sure that they would be allowed to do that now. You didn't let my baby eat. But we stood outside in Lake Havasu in July until we memorized these verses. And he wouldn't let us in until we could individually quote them. We were like in a line. That takes dedication. I remember being so hungry, so starving, and so hot. And I had to memorize these verses, and I thought it was so mean. And we kept saying the verses to each other. And I think now, looking back, it was kind of a good idea. So maybe we'll do that to you guys at breakfast tomorrow. (laughs) No breakfast until it's memorized. It's amazing what you can memorize when you're hungry. It gives a whole new meaning to Job's words that he treasured God's word above his daily food. But I'm so grateful that those verses were hidden in my heart as I was growing up. So what does it mean to present ourselves to God? And what does that mean in light of our theme of reflection? What does it mean to be a living sacrifice? I love that the word present is spelled just like present. What does it mean to present ourselves to God? Basically, it means to give him ourselves as a present. The word means to call to one's side. 
We are to give ourselves as a present to be at the side of Jesus always. See, he wants to have a mirror that he can show to this world, that he can show to people, and he wants to know if you'll be willing to be that mirror. He wants to know if you'll be willing to be that reflection. And speaking of reflection, I have to say, when I talked about my little scary Snow White girl, I had no idea the play was about Snow White. That was the Holy Spirit works even through Snow White. We're to present ourselves as a present to Jesus. Can you think about the greatest present that you've ever received? I think mine is my shark robot. You know those little robots? like vacuum cleaners that you push a little button and they suddenly just go and they vacuum around your house. It is the most glorious thing ever. And don't tell my husband because he's also giving me diamond earrings. And those look pretty, but they can't clean the house. I mean, I'm talking that thing vacuums the house while I sit on the couch and drink coffee. It is glorious. It's great. It's my best friend. I just say, oh, it's my coffee time and it's time for you to go to work. Vacuums the house. It's like my co-mom. Somehow, Jesus thinks that we are his greatest present. It sounds crazy to me. I don't know how. I know us. And somehow he loves us and desires us and wants us. He tells a parable of a man who found treasure in the field and wanted it so desperately that he gave up everything to obtain it. Girls, you are that treasure. You are that treasure that he gave up everything to obtain. You are that treasure that he laid aside his deity for. You are that treasure that he died on the cross for so that he could purchase you for himself, so that you could live forever. Jesus died so that you could be the present that he gets to keep by his side. I'm telling you, you're his trophy wife. He is so excited about about you. He longs to love you. He longs to use you. He longs to be near you. He longs to take care of you. And so he says to us, I presented my life for you. I gave my life as a present so that you could live with me clean and pure and on your way to heaven. And in exchange for that, he says, so would you give your life to me? Would we give the mirrors of who we are? Would we give our lives to him? And in exchange for that, Paul says, it's only our reasonable service. It's the only thing that makes sense. The only thing that makes sense is to say, okay, God, I am all yours. I'm all in. I'm on your team forever. This is true and reasonable worship. In light of the life that he gave for us, doesn't it just make sense that we would give our lives for him? And we truly got the bargain end of that deal. Now, I've got the cutest son in the world. And he was homeschooled his freshman year, and he doesn't love to read. And so to try to motivate him to read, he said, okay, I've got an idea. We were trying to read The Lord of the Rings, and he said, how about you read a page and I rub your feet, and I'll read a page and you rub my feet. For the entire school year, we did that. Now, I love my son with all my heart, 
But there is just no comparison of rubbing a woman's pedicured foot and a 14-year-old boy's foot. I don't think they clip their toenails. I know I hear shower water. Every day he gets, again, do not ever tell him that I'm telling you these things if you ever meet him. Every day as he's running into the car, just barefoot on his way to school with holding all of his stuff, suddenly you'll start to hear something like pound against the back seat. And I'm like, what? What, what, what is that noise? Well, my socks are really crunchy, so I got to like pound out the crunch. <laughs> Any boy moms in here? We were having a conversation in the bathroom yesterday. I don't even know who you were, but you were adorable. We were just talking about how stinky boys are. Yeah, what is that? But you know what? That's kind of like the deal we got with Jesus. But so much greater the contrast between his holiness, his purity, his never-ending loving kindness and mercy and grace, all that we get from him Compared to what he gets with us, it's kind of like a nasty, stinky boy foot. It's kind of like not that great. It's kind of stinky and gross. We're like, I don't know if I want to give myself to you, God, as though we're so great and we've got so much going on. It's like this giant decision of, okay, here I am. And God's like, oh, good. What am I going to do with you? And yet this is what he longs for somehow. It's amazing. And Paul says it's reasonable that you and I would present ourselves fully to him. It's reasonable. It makes sense as a living sacrifice. I don't know about you, but I'm so glad we don't have to offer sacrifices anymore. I mean, could you imagine every day? Come on, Lammy. Mama sinned. (laughs) Your time's up. (laughs) Mama lost her temper. Let's go. (laughs) That's so sad. But what a stark reality of sin that I think that we miss sometimes in our culture because of this. And there's so many differences between a living sacrifice and a dead sacrifice. A dead sacrifice doesn't hop off the altar as our propensity is. A dead sacrifice doesn't take their life back as we so often do. A dead sacrifice doesn't choose the old ways like we so often do. But you know what? A dead sacrifice also can't be used to spread the good news of Jesus like you can. A dead sacrifice can't be used to reflect the glory of God like you can. And we don't always get it right. You know, I was going potty right before dinner, and in that little middle stall right there, when you sit down, you see that Jesus is etched into the bathroom stall. Jesus. (laughs) Maybe the right heart, but not quite the right method. And a lot of times... Us as living sacrifices, we're kind of like that. We're kind of like Jesus etched in the bathroom stall at a Christian conference. I would assume that they would much rather you just say, Jesus, (laughs) than to etch it into the bathroom stall wall. I don't know if that was you, but maybe not a good idea. We don't always get it right. But I kept thinking that a living sacrifice is whole. 
It's whole. When animal sacrifices were offered in the temple, there were pieces of sacrifices that were used for different things. Some pieces were give to, given to the priests. Some pieces were given to the people who brought the sacrifice in. Some pieces were burned. Some pieces were thrown. Some people were, were waved as a heave offering and the wave offering. And I don't want to hold all those entrails. I can't imagine what they did. And Jesus is saying to us, I don't want pieces of you. I don't want pieces of you going to different places. I don't want pieces of you going to a different purpose. I want all of you. Because he wants the whole of you. He wants all of you. Every detail, every piece, every day, every moment, every thought, every emotion, every desire, what you like, what you don't like. He wants everything presented as a living sacrifice to reflect his glory from. I remember when one of my kids got braces on, and it was my, I think it was my son, and with my daughter, my oldest, they didn't do this when she got braces, and actually they didn't do it with my youngest either, so I don't know why they did it with my son. But they put this, like, big contraption in his mouth to hold all of his lips open, and then they got one of those big cameras that have the lights all around it, like the big circle floodlight. And so he's standing there with that thing, and they wanted to do a before and after picture. So he's got his mouth like, oh, like And they've got, like, the camera with the floodlights, like, this close to his face. And while they're taking these pictures, the orthodontist says to me, is it your turn to get braces next? First of all, I was a little offended because I've already had braces. <laughs> and it is not my fault that I lost and broke five retainers. And that I wore three-fourths of the fifth one so that I wouldn't have to tell my mom that I broke it. And so it pulled three-fourths of my teeth that way while the other ones go that way. And second of all, I'm thinking, I would rather die with crooked teeth than to let you take a picture of me like that. I mean, imagine what they see to you that close with that, like, zits, scars, hair, crooked teeth, yellow teeth. Like, not on your life, buddy. You are not coming anywhere near me with that light. Isn't that why romantic restaurants turn the lights down? <laughs> They're thinking, if we want all these relationships to work, we'd better make it as dark as possible. You guys look great right now. We're flawed individuals. We're flawed. And sometimes that's the hardest part about being a reflection. To be a reflection, that means people are actually going to look at you. They're going to look at you. And sometimes we want to hide because we know our flaws. If it were solely up to us to reflect Jesus, it would look a little bit more like a funhouse mirror. He would be like, I'm not that chubby. I'm not that. What are you doing with my image? Praise God for his grace. Praise God because he takes flawed and messed up and marred you and me. And somehow he makes us holy. Somehow he makes us image bearers as we present ourselves to him as a living sacrifice. He's able to use us. Does that amaze you? Are we holy gods?
been asked, what is it to be holy, H-O-L-Y? It's to be wholly his, W-H-O-L-L-Y. How do you become holy? By giving yourselves wholly to him. We can't be perfect. We will be flawed, but we can keep surrendering all we are to him. And he's got a floodlight of his glory shining all over us. He sees everything inside and out. Psalm 139 makes that so clear. You know every word on my tongue before it's there. You know my sitting down, my rising up. You go before me. When I'm in the depths, when I'm in the heights, you're there with me. He sees it all, and yet he desires us still. He sees the way that we portray him wrongly, and yet he desires to use us still because he has those gracious and loving eyes. He wants all of us. Now, I know it's not Christmas, but we have a tradition in my house. Every year it's a problem with my kids. Because the second that you start seeing Christmas things in Hobby Lobby, maybe like in July now, I think, <laughs> they start saying, oh, what do I want for Christmas? And they start talking about what they want for Christmas. And I think it was two years ago or last year, one of my kids said, we shouldn't call it Christmas. We should call it Thanksgiving. And I said, What? And they said, well, you know, like Thanksgiving was last month and Thanksgiving is this month. And I said, what are you talking about? This is Jesus's birthday. And like the typical pastor's kid, they said, mom, Jesus was probably born in September. It was too cold for the shepherds outside in December. Six months after John the Baptist was most likely September, pastor's kids. So I keep trying to bring them back to, what do you want to give to Jesus? It's his birthday. He's the birthday boy. And isn't that the age-old question? From David in Psalm 116, where he said, what can I offer the Lord for all he has done for me? To the drummer boy who had no gift to bring that was fit to give to a king. Because what do you give to the guy who literally has everything? But the thing about Jesus is that he came to make all things new. He didn't come for our perfect. He didn't come for our put together. He didn't come for our perfect reflection and image of him. Isaiah 61 says that he gives beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. And then Jesus, when he walked this earth, he went into a synagogue and he read from the first two verses of that chapter. And he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. 
girls, this is what he came for. This is why he came. He came to turn our ashes into beauty. He came to turn our mourning into joy. He came to turn our garments of heaviness into spirit of praise. This is what he came for. So every year when it's Christmas time, which again I know that it's not, but every year when it's Christmas time, we start to talk about what are we going to give to Jesus? What are we going to give to the birthday boy? And we aren't giving him our best. We're giving him those worst things that we can't possibly change ourselves. Because that's why he came. He came to be the bridge of peace to all that divides us away from him. He came to fix our reflections in those ways that we haven't been able to adequately display him, to adequately reflect him. He came to fix that in us. And so over the years, my household has given him so many things. Fear of heffalumps, fears of foxes and bears, tempers and bad habits and bad words and sibling anger and in-law anger and bitterness and unforgiveness and annoyance. We give him those things that we can't possibly fix on our own so that he can make us new, so that he can make us like him, so that he can unbind us, so that he can bring beauty out of the ashes that we create and give sight to our blind spots. That's what he wants from us. He wants us. He wants those things that we can't quite get right. He wants those things that we can't quite fix. Because he came to wash us as white as snow and to make all things new. He just wants you. He wants all of you. He wants you as a living sacrifice so that you can reflect him, so that he can make you holy. The entirety of him, or the entirety of you, pleases him. Girls, again, we could search high and low, and we'll never find a love like the love of Jesus. And that's why he says to us, would you give yourselves to me so that you could find what fits right, what is perfect, what is pleasing. He says, don't conform to this world. Don't try to fit into its pattern because it's not where you were meant to be. Have you ever had something that just didn't fit quite right? Maybe a pair of jeans that it's time to give up. A couple months ago, I was wearing a pair of jeans and I laughed and the button popped off and flew out. (laughs) It was kind of funny. I was thinking about a time I was trying on a dress in Target, and it was one of those sheer dresses that has, like, the the long slip inside of it. But for some reason, with the way that it was, I couldn't quite figure out how to get my armhole through the little slip hole and also through the dress hole on both sides. And so I kept coming out of it completely wrong and totally messed up. And my hair just every time I have to like get it off and try to put it back on. And I was such a sweaty mess and then I couldn't get the dress off. And I was stuck and my kids were waiting for me outside of the dressing room at Target. I was like, I'll be there in a I couldn't get it. I was tangled everywhere. Girls, that's what it's like when you and I try to fit into the pattern of this world. That's what it's like when you and I, I loved what Connie was saying this today, this morning, this afternoon, whenever it was. (laughs) 
We're just like heaven. There's no time relevance here. I love what she was saying. We weren't meant to watch the things that this world produces. We weren't meant to listen to the things that this world comes up with. We weren't meant to fit into their pattern. And when we try, when we do, it's kind of like me at Target with that dress. We kind of have it on, but it just doesn't fit right. And you know how you can tell? You can tell because of all the reasons that people had to give to her of why it was okay for them to watch that TV show. You can tell that they had to think about why it was okay for me to watch that TV show. It doesn't fit. It's not what we were meant to wear. We'll never find what we're looking for in the world or its patterns or its customs or its ways. But then you contrast that with your most comfy pair of sweats or yoga pants. And you think about how great it is that they feel. You think about how loose they feel. I remember my husband and I were on a cruise one time and dying laughing because the lady came to breakfast at the table next next to us and she said to whoever she was with, I'm so sorry I was late. I had to put on my yoga pants because I guess the humidity shrunk my jeans or something. (laughs) Thinking, uh... This is day five of a cruise. I don't think it was the humidity. But you think about that comfy pair of pants that you wish you were wearing them right now. Maybe we should have a jammy day tomorrow. But when I think about the fact that God says that in him we'll find what is perfect, what is acceptable, what is pleasing, it's good. Doesn't that just sound comfy? Doesn't it just sound like it fits right? It's a feeling of good and pleasing and perfect. And that's what we're all looking for. But it's not found in living life to the hilt. It's not found in the world's ways. It's not found in their TV shows, in their radio stations, or better vacations, or greater homes, or nicer cars. It's not found in deeper relationships and new clothes, and nicer jobs, and graduating, and getting married, and having kids, or having your kids leave, or retirement, or freedom from financial problems, or perfect health. Girls, it's not found in any of that, or anything else that we think that we should pursue. You girls know this. The feeling of good, and pleasing, and perfect is found in giving ourselves entirely to Jesus. It's found in giving ourselves over to him so that we can reflect him, so that we can be used by him, so that we can do what he created us to do and be who he created us to be and live how he created us to live. Jesus is what we're looking for. Jesus is what our souls are longing for. Jesus is what our hearts are thirsting after. He's the king of heaven, the lover of our souls, the fire within us, the living water that we thirst for, the mighty one that pours out his perfect strength upon us. He is the only good one. His ways are higher, greater, and deeper, and the one whose wisdom we can't even begin to fathom or scratch the surface of. He's the one who sings over us. He's the one who's constantly working all things together for our good. He's the one who only gives good gifts, who only does good things, who alone is God, and who alone can present us faultless 
before his throne. And isn't this God worthy of us presenting our lives to him entirely? God, through Paul, he says, renew your mind in this. In this truth, in this reality, here we are back again to the thought life. Back again to where you're setting your mind. Is it above or is it below? Is it old life or is it crucified? Are we renewing our mind in his truth? Are we constantly turning our minds toward him? Constantly telling ourselves what to believe. Now, I heard a story on a Bible study by Ben Corson, and I'm not sure that if it's true, because I couldn't find it anywhere online, but Ben Corson was saying that Navy SEALs in the midst of battle are trained to yell, good times, and I don't know if that's true or not, and I couldn't find it anywhere, and I'm not a Navy SEAL, nor will I ever be a Navy SEAL. My daughter has talked me into climbing Masada, and I'm thinking, I can't even climb Stone Lodge's stairs. How am I going to get to Masada? But he says that they're trained in the midst of the battle to yell good times. And whether it's true or not, what a beautiful concept for you and me. When the world is fighting for our confirmation, when the enemy is trying to wear us down, when the arrows seem to have pierced clear through our minds and we feel we have no strength left to fight discouragement, depression, or disillusionment, what then? Good times, good times. You know why? Because this life is not all that we have. We think it's such a big deal to present our lives as a living sacrifice. And yet God tells us this life is a vapor. Can you believe you're as old as you are? It's going so fast. This life is a vapor. This life is not all we have. God is working in us a far greater weight of glory than we could ever imagine. So good times. God is conforming us into his image from glory to greater glory. So good times. When we're fully his, we have all the fullness of the Godhead bodily dwelling within our hearts. Do you know all that do you know that you have all you need to yell good times? Do you know that you have all you need to keep surrendering, to keep giving, to keep living, to keep reflecting because you have God and God is all you need. He's enough. He's more than enough. That word enough has been on my heart all day today. He's enough. Remember when Pharaoh in Genesis had his dream and he couldn't find anybody who could interpret it and and then the baker said, oh, I forgot, I remember my sin and there's a guy in jail and he can interpret dreams and so Joseph comes to Pharaoh and Pharaoh says to him, I heard you can interpret dreams and I love what Joseph says right there. He says, it's not in me, but there is a God who can What a great mindset. Girls, every moment of sacrifice that we have before us, it's not in me. And we feel that it's not in us, right? That's why we're so terrified to do it. That's why we're so terrified to turn ourselves over. Because we know it's not in us. But we've got to catch that second part. It's not in me. 
but there is a God who can. What do you face tonight? It's not in you, but there's a God who can. It's not in any of us, and that's where presenting ourselves comes in. Christ in us, the hope of glory. What are you facing? It's not in you, but there's a God who can. You know, I was sitting there when Gia was doing worship, and I was praying, and I love it when she does worship, but sometimes I get so caught up in how much I love her worship that I forget that I'm about to teach. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's right. <laughs> I just had that moment toward the last song of, oh, God, is there, like, what do you want me to say? What, what is there that's your message tonight? And I felt so strongly that he put the word fear on my heart, that there's those of us who are in here, and I, I would, I would venture to say that 100% of us face fear of some kind. And all of a sudden, he brought me back to a story, and um, I don't like to talk about it much because I don't want to be like the retreat cancer wife story. I hate that. But my husband, I think I said something about it, but two years ago, he got stage four cancer. But um, two, two days before we got the call that he had um, lymphoma, somebody had called me and they said they were just crying and not, not so super strong or mature in the Lord. And they were crying and they said, I'm so scared. I don't know what to do. I had a dream that Jason died and usually my dreams come true. And that was her phone conversation with me. And Jason's my husband, if you missed that. <laughs> Who's Jason? Who's saying? And it was Mother's Day, and it was like 10 o'clock at night, and all I had wanted for Mother's Day was to get in bed with a candle and read a book all by myself for hours. And so that's what they did, and it was in the middle of this that she called, and she said, I had a dream Jason died. And, and such fear suddenly took hold of my heart. But, you know, you go into pastor's wife mode, and she didn't know what to do with it. And so I'm trying to comfort her, and our times are in God's hands. And, you know, God knows. And at this point, we didn't even know that cancer really was a possibility. And two days later, God woke me up. And he woke, oh, I'm going to cry. I'm not a crier. Um, it's lucky you. <laughs> See, I'm a laugher. That's what happens. Instantly, when I fear the tears, I'm like, laugh, laugh, laugh. Two days later, God woke me up, and he so strongly just put a song on my heart about God being king and on the throne, and, and he said to me, I want you to sing this song all day, and I was like, okay, awesome, I'll sing this song all day, nobody wants me to hear me sing but him, but I'll sing it in my heart, <laughs> and it was, I got ready, I read my Bible, got ready, took my kids to school, came home, and my husband was there, and it was about 8.20, and he said, I need to talk to you, you got to sit down. And I forgot to tell you, when the girl called me, she said that he was in surgery, and he died, he didn't make it out of surgery. And he doesn't know this, so if you ever meet him, don't tell this dream, everybody pinky promise. Okay, we're good. And so he sat me down, and he said lymphoma, stage four. We didn't know what that means. And, you know, all I know is that when you get cancer, they don't want it to go into your lymph nodes. So what do you do when it starts there? I don't know. And we didn't know anything. And isn't that, for those of you who have been through that, isn't that the worst part of cancer? Is like the, the couple weeks where you're waiting to figure it out. And, and um, praise God, though, 
when we, got, we talked about this, there's no surgery involved in lymphoma. And I was so excited because this girl's dream, it was still kind of just hanging over me and still inciting fear in my heart. Do you have those things where they just kind of hang over your back and they cause fear? And then we made it through all of that. He did six rounds of chemo. He was mostly clear after that, but then he got diagnosed with thyroid cancer. And I guess thyroid cancer usually goes along with lymphoma. It's very common. And thyroid cancer involves surgery. And so for months, I just kind of carried this weight of fear and wrestling because don't we do that? We know we're not supposed to fear. And so we cast our cares on the Lord because he cares for us. But then that fear comes back. And then we cast it again, but then that fear comes back. And it's kind of scary. But here's the thing that I know. I remember hearing, I think it was Janie Alfred after her daughter died. And she said, God prepared me for that, but he didn't prepare me with fear. He prepared me with praise. He prepared me with strength. He prepared me with growth. And my husband's good now, but moving on, I just want to say to you girls that fear is never from the Lord. Never from the Lord. If you have fear, that's not preparation. That's from the enemy. And we know that because 1 John tells us that perfect love casts out all fear. The enemy wants to distort your reflection of the Lord by giving you fear, by giving you fear of the what-ifs, by giving you fear of, of thus saith the Lord or somebody's dream or prophecy or vision. I remember somebody, um, when my son was little, they said, I've got a prophecy for you. Your son's going to have brain cancer, but you're going to find out because it's going to fall off of a kitchen counter and when you get this CAT scan for that, you're going to find the brain cancer, but it'll be caught in time. And so I kind of turned into like Sleeping Beauty over spindles with kitchen counters. <laughs> Don't get on the kitchen counter. You're going to fall off. And that's brain cancer time. And it's like I knew she was kind of wacky, but, but girls, <laughs> she was weird. She was just wise. But it still incites fear, right? And so... I don't even know where this is going. I'm sorry. <laughs> I've got five minutes. <laughs> Wrap it up somehow. Here's what I want to say. When we present our lives as a living sacrifice, we don't need to fear. We don't need to fear. Because perfect love casts out fear. And you're not presenting yourself to a God who doesn't know you, to a God who didn't create you, to a God who is not sovereign, to a God who is not good. You are presenting yourself to a God who might walk you through some things that you don't quite want to walk through. But I love what Corey Ten Boom says. When God sends us down bumpy road, he always gives us strong shoes. You are walking with a God who gives strong shoes. You are walking with a God who will fill your heart with worship, who will fill your heart with peace, who will fill your heart with contentment. And you know, there came a point with me where fear was taking such a grip on my heart, and all of a sudden I was like, I need to fight this. 
This has got to be fun. And so what I did, what God led me to do, was I got out index cards, and every time I got to a verse that had to do with fear, I would write that down, and every time I felt fear, I would read those verses on fear. Girls, we are more than conquerors. You are stronger than your fear. You are stronger than your depression. You are stronger than your mistakes, not because you're strong, but because you presented yourself to a God who is strong. There is no safer place that we could be than presenting ourselves as a living sacrifice to God. There's no safer place. There's no better place. There's no other good place. Your God has the best intentions for you. And when we present ourselves to him, that's the best place that we could be in. So God, I just thank you for every one of these girls. With every eye closed, I just I just keep feeling that if if you're struggling with fear, if it has a grip on your heart, if it has a grip on your mind, with every eye closed, would just raise your hand and say, Oh, that's me. That's me. I'm struggling with fear. Fear of the unknown, fear of the future, fear of the past, fear of the what-ifs. Those of you who have your hands up, maybe let's just raise both hands. <laughs> I'll keep my hand up with you. I've got a daughter who's graduating. <laughs> God, we give you our fear. Lord, we don't know how to get rid of this on our own. We want to present ourselves as a living sacrifice, and yet the enemy's voice is often so loud, or the voices of those around us are so loud, or our own voices are so loud, or or people's stories are so loud. God, sometimes we hear things that incite fear. God, we give our fear to you. We give it as a gift. Because, God, we can't do anything about it. You're the only one who can change it. You're the only one who can redeem it. You're the only one who can restore it. You're the only one who can sanctify it. You're the only one who can bring faith and trust and boldness and courage and might and strength to our fearful hearts. And so, God, we give ourselves to you and and actually... Why don't you put your hands down because I'm sure they're tired, but but all of us in the room with our eyes closed, I think we all might want to give ourselves as a living sacrifice to Jesus. And so why don't we all hold our hands up? And God, we want to be yours. We want to go where you want us to go. We want to do what you want us to do. We want to be completely and wholly and entirely yours. We want to be given over to you. We want to be consumed with you. We want to be consumed with passion for you. We want to not be able to stop talking about you, about your goodness, about your glory. God, we don't want to give a piece of ourselves to you. And we don't want to give a piece of ourselves to this world. God, we don't want to be conformed into its image. God, we want to renew our mind with the truth of your word by staying in your word, by being diligent in your word, by opening your word every day. We want to be renewed in our mind toward you 
so that we can find that perfect and pleasing and acceptable will of God, that will that fits well. God, we give our lives to you tonight, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.